We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the founder of the Kings Beat. Joining me. Mr. Sean Cunningham from Fox 40. What's going on, what, Sean? What's up, James? A um, little down. Not uh, no no live chat today. This is no. I got now. I got to listen to you guys the entire no. time. No live chat. No, that's, <laughs> no that's very chat. true. Maybe you should just have like scrolling Twitter on the right. Oh, maybe uh, I could do that. And along with uh, Sean Cunningham, of course, we have Mr. Bru- Brendan Nunez from the Kings Herald and the Kings Pulse podcast. Brendan, what's going on? Not too much, guys. Back in action. Um, did my homework. And in my scrollings of Twitter, also movie-related, apparently there's a Winnie the Pooh horror movie coming yeah, it looks out. trash, by, by the way. way. Um, what the? Yeah, yeah. I, grew I can up already Winnie tell you, it's Piglet. Piglet did it. I, I don't even need to see it. Like, Piglet's... T- I don't know. Tigger's Tigger, pretty suspect. Man. He's too yeah. obvious. He's too obvious. Yeah. No, it's always going to be Piglet. Oh, Eeyore Piglet. gets killed for sure, huh? Uh, yeah, he does. Uh, you, he hey, you, you leave Eeyore. You leave Eeyore alone. Damn it! Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, they could go full. Um, was the the Glenn, They could cook the bunny. Um, you oh, know. Fatal Attraction. Fatal Glenn Attraction. Close. There we go. Glenn Close. That was a movie in the. It was a movie in the eighties, Brendan. I suggest you watch that. Every man probably should watch that because there are some uh, pretty psychotic relationships out there. So that's a that's a good one to get into. By the way, Christopher Robin always a little. I don't know. And I, if, if I was his friend, I probably wouldn't have been. You're not a Christopher Robin fan. Um, I, and, I wouldn't uh, have been. A, yeah. Sean and I are in mourning this morning um, because uh, the great Ray Liotta passed away this morning. He he did not wake up uh, from what we're hearing. He died in his sleep at age 67. Uh, so shout out to Ray Liotta. Uh, we were discussing before we came on the air um, that Brendan likely does not know who Ray Liotta is, but also... Uh, just what you, your favorite Ray Liotta film? What is that, Sean? Uh, 
Yeah, the one that so my favorite one is easily Goodfellas. I mean, that's just of course. That, that's, but actually, I asked you. I said, "What's the one movie you picture Ray Liotta in your mind's eye when you know if someone mentions him?" And for me, it's honestly not Goodfellas, even though it is my favorite. Um, and it, and to me, it's Unlawful Entry, which is just the creepiest role for him. He plays this uh, cop who becomes obsessed with Kurt Russell's wife, Madeline Stowe. Uh, Unlawful Entry, crazy movie. He's really, really good in it. Yeah, um, I have seen Goodfellas, by the me- way. Hey! Oh, hey! Within the last year, outstanding. Okay, what do you think? Yeah, he goes. It was he good. Goes, ah, I like mob. I like I like mob movies. Okay, they're they're intriguing to me. Yeah, I, I like. Uh, in general, I guess I'm like a true crime or or some sort of villain focused movies. I guess kind of intrigue me. I'm really into Ozark right now. Just yeah, like it's brilliant. Similar esque. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was intriguing. It's long, and I may have. Yeah, no, no I'm gonna Jesus guess it Christ, probably man. wasn't one. It probably wasn't four, one sitting. Four sittings, <laughs> at least. That's at a four sit- sittinger. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just lie to me. Just lie to me and tell me you don't do that anymore. Uh, that's funny. That's funny. Um, I've been watching uh, the Offer, which is uh, it basically it's a you know made for tv docudrama basically on the making of the godfather which it's absolutely brilliant i've had a i think it's really good um i think it's on paramount um anyway that's that's one of those things and i i did have to go to i went to the movies last night and i had to go see the new downton abbey movie with my wife um but Hmm. i'm being a good husband there um so anyway yes i loved ray Liotta in field of dreams he was shoeless joe jackson and spectacular like it's it's a good film, um, except for the have a catch. That's just strange. Yeah, have There's, a catch. Yeah, have a catch. No, I, you're right. That's true. Just I, play catch. Yeah, no, that's that's weird. I I think maybe it's a different <laughs> of time all the show. things of all the things that are weird. That is not the not the voice in the cornfield telling him to build it and someone will show up. No, that's, that's true. not so weird. That's fine. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into the podcast. Uh, let's. Well, before we get into the podcast, we got to hit the the news of the day, which is that tonight is uh, off the record with the King's Beat Virtual Happy Hour Part Six, The Voice, starring Gary Gerald. If you are a premium subscriber, you will receive a link to the the festivities at around three p.m. Um, this podcast will go up before then because um, I'm just looking at editing wise when the, we're recording and everything. Um, so I think that that will be uh, just absolutely tremendous. I'm super excited uh, to to dig in deep with uh, with Gary Gerald and and let him tell some of the amazing stories that he has over the course of his 36, 37 years as the voice of the Kings. Um, again, if you want to become a premium subscriber, you still got time, but you need to jump on quick. Uh, so go to thekingsbeat.com or anywhere, really just go to my, my bio. You'll find everything you need, uh, or down below in the comments section, um, in the, uh, the description. Also, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to give us a thumbs up, uh, make sure to subscribe. Uh, those are big deals for us and actually we're absolutely killing it. And it's been a lot of fun to watch the YouTube channel grow the way that it has audio files growing as well. But the YouTube channel has been nuts over the last couple of weeks and, uh, that's fun to watch happen. Um, 
I really like the Monday night uh, live show. Uh, I think the live shows are cool. Um, what do you guys think about doing a live show uh, more often? I enjoy it. I, I do think that the uh, crowd would be a quite significantly different from a 10 o'clock in the morning crowd to the 8 o'clock at night crowd. So um, I was very entertained by the live stream, and apparently I have a stalker. So uh, <laughs> Is that DB? The, the more yeah. I know about the said stalker, the more, <laughs> the more <laughs> probably it'll help in having to tell proper authorities about them later on. So, <laughs> Brendan, did you see any of that? I wasn't he also in the first one trying to get your attention? Oh, it might yeah. have been. Yeah. By the way, I think uh, the, the little poem that he had. I don't Shout know if out that to was DB. A, I don't know if that was a poem. It definitely wasn't a haiku. But the if <laughs> I am the only fan, or if Sean only has one fan, I am him, or whatever it was. Uh, that's actually a TikTok trend. Shout out Lindsay Polaris, my coworker at Fox, who let me know that <laughs> that's a TikTok trend that hasn't made its way on my Instagram stories that I've, that's how I keep up with t- a lot of the TikTok is if someone sends me a TikTok or it just ends up in, in Instagram stories. Did I call it the TikTok? And that's the why TikTok you is yeah. what really got so, me. Sorry Sean, I'm that. Not gonna lie. That, <laughs> <laughs> I knew it exactly when I said it, that it, I screwed that up. I'm just wondering if you made Brendan. a TikTok reference before I did. I don't know what is happening here. Brendan, did you, have you made that TikTok yet where you say that about no. somebody? No, I have not. Good, because it's awkward. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to work on it, though. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We could just uh, cut it and then put it right here into the podcast so people could see. Uh, we'll compare your video with Vivek Ranadive's dance video on TikTok and see which oh, one. Oh, boy. It is better. so funny. That is such a funny video. But He's... is it meant to be funny? But is it? it... <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh... All right, so uh, we got the business side covered. Um, again, if you want to jump on board and uh, become a premium subscriber, you'll get the invite to to the happy hour tonight. The happy hours are amazing. They last about two, two and a half hours. Um, we break off at, at one point and just have people hop on and ask questions. Um, and so you would get to ask questions of uh, the great Gary Gerald, um, which, again, he's one of the greatest human beings ever. Uh, so... I'm excited about that. Um, besides that, uh, we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs, and are these like the most disappointing playoffs of all time? At this point, like the Celtics Heat series is completely dictated by who has the most injuries that night, and then which team gets completely run over. Um, and then, you know, of course, Luca wins one, um, but that Warriors team just looks like they're rolling. I think that Jalen uh, Brown in the second half was at least what caught my attention. And granted, I was having to watch a little bit with one eye on it. And uh, I was over at the Sac Republic event last night because of having the MLS uh, team in town and, and going up against that type of upper tier uh, opposition. And uh, they actually won. They shut them out. 2 nothing. Yeah. So shout out, shout shout out. out Sacramento. And by the yeah. way, sold out. I hadn't seen a sold out crowd over there in... Since, since Nam, I mean, it's been that way. It's been, I mean, the the championship season, maybe the the year after. It's been a long, long time, but that was really impressive. Um, but yeah, Jalen Brown, man, that was a little unexpected, and I think just because of how that game sort of played out, um, I think there's a lot of panic around some of the Celtics after 
what game four um but yeah by halftime it was a whole different whole different celtics time type of team and i I still don't think this uh i think miami gets back in the series but yeah it hasn't been the most interesting and to your point james like as i mentioned in the last podcast i don't have a problem with any of these teams reaching this stage but the games just haven't been there and it is nice to see luca at this stage but i i feel like even after they fell down 2-0 going back to dallas Jason Kidd kind of made the point of like, well, you know, this is new for a lot of us and almost making the excuse right away. Like we're last year's Atlanta Hawks right now. And I'm like, no, don't, don't do that. It's almost like waving the white flag. So at least they made it, uh, they forced it to go back to San Francisco for tonight and hopefully the game's entertaining. That's all I can say. Yeah. Game three, even after, uh, that one, like Luca, some of the comments, I was surprised it was, yeah, I mean, had the same sort of tone that I, I think that you were talking about. I'm like, they sound like they think they're done, um, which, you know, 3-0, I, I get it a little bit, but also just surprised to be hearing it. And the Miami-Boston one, like, before that game five, every other game was a blowout in one way or another. And it wasn't it wasn't the home team every time, so I guess there were some, like, unexpected blowouts. But, I mean, it's enough that by the end of the game, like, wh- what are we, what am I watching here? Um, I will it's say the trash. first... Yeah, it it was they were pretty boring uh for the most part. Specifically, I mean both of these series outside of I think that game 5 for um Boston Miami, I did kind of enjoy watching Moody and Kuminga almost have their their little comeback moment at the end of that game. Um the Dallas ended up winning, but while the conference finals have been pretty boring, I thought round 1 and in the conference semis were really entertaining. Specifically the conference semis like the Milwaukee-Boston series was really, really good. Phoenix-Dallas was really entertaining. Golden State-Memphis. I mean, Memphis's both of their series were, were great. So, while, yeah, I think this has been a little bit underwhelming, the conference finals, I, I think it was an okay playoffs beforehand, and, and the finals could certainly make up for it. If these were movies, Brendan would have turned them off 15 minutes in. Yeah, it's true. It's possible. Well, no, because he does that with good movies, too. So true. Okay, that brings us to Tuesday overreactions. Sean's favorite portion of the Let's show. Go. Um, <laughs> like I'm just watching these playoffs right now, and I don't see anyone even coming close to the Golden State Warriors. A- am I wrong? My Tuesday overreaction is even you know even though it's Thursday, uh, is that uh, <laughs> that. Like, this is the Warriors championship to lose. James, uh, usually I balk at some of these. I think you actually nailed it because I didn't think this way until probably a week ago. Like, after after last Friday. when I think it was Friday when they went up 2-0 on Dallas and, and we're going back to Dallas. I, I literally had that thought because as much as I've been entertained by both Miami and Boston, and I think I even mentioned it last week, I've said this before. I, I I still think there's another level that the Warriors can get to, which is just scary. Um, but the way they're playing, the way they're closing out, especially, um, I, I really just don't feel. Especially considering how like you've seen teams try to physical them and and kind of get into them a bit, uh, as, as really every team tries to do. But it's just not working. It, it just has not worked. They've been able to fight through that they've been able to overcome it they've had they've been able to rely on their experience even though they're using a lot of guys that haven't reached this stage at all in their careers 
you know, you can have a, a different Jordan Poole one game to the next, and he's still impactful. Even if he's not scoring, his playmaking ability is fantastic. Um, Otto Porter has meant so much to them, which is just crazy to say. Um, the plus, the plus and minus. I'm not a plus minus guy, as you know, but the plus minus for for Otto Porter for that team is incredible. When he's on the floor, it's huge, and when he's off, it's not very good. But yet they're still able to win and close out and still be their dominating self. So um, I, I think I I'm, I'm on board with your overreaction there because I just cannot see any of these teams taking them down. That said, a series. And now you're going to be flying all the way across the country. I know Memphis is pretty close to all the way across the country. Uh, I know how much the the Warriors did not want to make that trip uh, for that final game if they had not closed out at home against Memphis and moved on to the Western Conference Finals like they did. So maybe that element adds a little something to it because it's usually easier to fly East Coast to West Coast than it is West Coast to East Coast. So um, I don't know, man. I, I think I tend to agree with that. I think that it's a little bit closer in my mind than how I feel like you guys are presenting it. It depends a lot on who's healthy in Miami and Boston when when they get out of that series. And I think there is a big aspect of Golden State probably closes it out tonight and gets a little bit of a rest advantage over, over Miami and Boston. But I think that both of those teams are are phenomenal defenses that are going to be able to make it difficult on Golden State, specifically in the half court. Um, They have the shot creation. Like to me, I think that Boston is the better team. Um, I think it would be interesting to see how Golden State defends all of the the smart players that that Boston is working with. And I, I think that it could make for a good matchup. I would still probably favor Golden State. Um, but I, I think that it's a, I think it's a decent matchup. You know, I, I don't, I haven't loved Dallas's defense. I, I know that they were pretty good earlier in the year. Um, I didn't think that they've been great in this series. And, and Steph is kind of back on his, uh, back on being Steph. Like he's pulling shots early in the game that sometimes they're not even falling. But you're like, okay, Steph is Steph is doing this right now. Um, but Clay hasn't kind of been himself um I'm a little more questionable about like you know what are you going to get from Poole or Wiggins each night so I I think it's I still would probably give the edge to Golden State but I I think it'll be pretty close I think the defenses are pretty solid on the other side um and you know maybe it's a little bit of my previous Celtics fan coming out but like the route they've gone through in the east is is pretty impressive like sweeping Brooklyn beating the defending champs in Milwaukee. Now they're playing Miami in a close series um, and then going through Golden State. Like, I don't know. I, I think it would be a pretty good series. I would have Warriors in five if I was if I wanted to make money. As a safe bet, I'd say Warriors in six. But, like, for a championship, I, I think it's going to be that lopsided. Well, and especially I would imagine you guys are counting out Miami at this point. Um, and, uh, and not not totally. I mean, you never know. I I, I don't think it matters. Like, I kind of wonder. I kind of wonder if you should because I mean, there's <laughs> the the last two games. They've just been awful. I mean, you're talking 80, 80, 82 points in the last both those last two games. I know you know that's they not necessarily. They really. I mean, they need everybody. I mean, they've had a lot of banged up guys. We were talking about. I think James, you and I were talking about what they were going into in their Monday game. And it was half their roster was like on the injured report, you know, 
Um, and, and I know Jimmy Butler got all the attention, but you're talking Bam, Struess, Gabe Vincent. I mean, Kyle Lowry, who's finally back, like, and doesn't yeah, look great. Did you see that the last two games, like their starting backcourt is like a combined one for twenty-eight or something? Yeah, they didn't have a. They didn't have. In fact, I was just looking at Mondays. So this is this is the game four game. Uh, you're talking fifty. You're talking eighteen points among your starters. You have five players and eighteen points. It was P.J. Tucker, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, Max Struess, and that's you ended up good. with eighty. No, that's that's direct. not good, Sean. No. Yeah. That's not a. It's not a. Not a recipe for winning basketball. That's not a uh, deal. <laughs> and you know, you only scored eighty-two points, and then of course you you fast forward to what happened last night, and it's just another eighty-point game. It's. I, I wouldn't count them out because they're so. You know, that team is just so deadly, and and I love the way they're coached. I don't want to count out an Eric Spolstra type team, but you kind of wonder after that second half with Boston if they're just going to go into cruise control. So yeah, I think it's it's natural for us to look at Boston for sure, but. You know how Miami is, and it's hard to count them out. But then again, it's hard not to after two back-to-back eighty-point performances. That's pretty. That's just pretty awful. Yeah. It is pretty awful. Shout uh, out Gabe Vincent, by the way. Yeah, like on Stockton for a while. Isn't he the one in the Vlade picture, where Vlade's showing his big board? Um, I think he I is. I don't remember. You mean like he is the one signing the contract? Yeah, might how be. Is- Send it to me. I'll, I'll not, confirm it. Yeah, it's the the Vlodfather picture. Um, where yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> the Vlad has, father. Is, <laughs> he has the Vlodfather <laughs> printed out. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'd have to look that up. That's that's a good question, Brennan. Um, I was thinking it was someone else, but maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy. Um, okay, oh, you're crazy, all right. Yeah, let, let's get to a couple <laughs> other things. Um, first up, uh, I, I want to clarify something. Uh, I I've talked about this a couple of times that. Like, there is a rumor out there that the Kings are are ready to move up to number two with a, a swap with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, it's a rumor. It's a rumor that may or may not prove out, um, but it's definitely a rumor that I've heard. And and then I also made the other claim that, um, that when you— the Combine is one of those places where— Every general manager, every assistant general manager, every one of their dog is there hanging out, and it's all in one hotel area. It's all in one, uh, you know, facility and all that stuff. So a lot of the business of basketball actually happens there. It's it's done long before we get to draft night and long before we get to free agency. There's agents there. There are players that are hiding out there, um, but there's definitely like all of the front offices are there. So if, in fact, the Kings were to move up to number two, it is very possible that a deal has already been struck because that's kind of where you would do something like that. Now, look, that may not happen. Um, and, and it is a rumor um, that, that I've heard. Um, and at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I don't know where the Kings are going to draft or not. But if they were going to move up, it probably already has, like, the advanced conversations have already had there may have been a handshake like deal in place but we just don't know yet so um i'm gonna leave that sort of like that like it's not a definitive hey the kings have moved up and they're drafting number two and i know exactly what happened um that's not what's going on right now but i would tell you that there have been there's plenty of smoke there and there's a lot of like intrigue uh that we can we can talk about so um I think it brings us to a conversation because 
Uh, Brennan wasn't here on Monday when we recorded the live show. And Brennan, uh, Chet has been your guy. Like, and, and if they did move up to number two, it was with the idea that Orlando is most likely taking Jabari Smith at number one and that Chet would be the guy on the board. Um, we've also heard some rumors. I've heard some rumors that OKC might not be all that enamored with Chet Holmgren, that they do like Jaden Ivey, um, that he still could be on the board. Uh, I mean, a- an option at number two, Jaden Ivey could. Um, but why don't we start with Chet? And, and Brennan, like you've done a ton of like work on these things, uh, on, on draft profiles and stuff. What is it that you like about Chet? I think he's just the perfect, like, complimentary big man and complimentary sounds almost like I'm downplaying him but I don't think that he's like a primary offensive creator or anything like that I think that he has so much value on the defensive end um, with his length his timing I know there's reasonable concerns about his frame but I think that there haven't been moments where I've seen him back down from physicality Um, I think he's very willing to kind of bang with guys down low. Um, And I think we saw that in the tournament. He played against Jalen Duran, and I don't know that he had a phenomenal game on the offensive end or anything like that, but I think that you also saw him deal with getting posted up by a guy that is um, a genuine and high-level NBA athlete um, with with solid strength already at at Duran's age. So I, I think that what you get on the defensive end, the rim protection to me and the cerebralness in defending the pick and roll and like nuance of of covering a drop and and just staying perfectly in between the guard and the big and and being able to defend both guys at the same time and then on the other end to have an intriguing passing ability that's I think an above average for a big man you know just under two assists per game and he's certainly not the primary anywhere close to the primary option in Gonzaga's offense Um, and, and then he's shooting he shot 39% from three. Like, I, I think you could be talking about a 40% three-point shooter that is, like, all defensive caliber. And with seven, that's seven feet. Like, I, I think, to me, he's exactly the type of guy you're looking to put alongside Sabonis. I think my question would be, like, which one of them is defending the pick and roll? And it'd be hard for it not to be Chet. Because, like I said, I just think he's so freaking good at it. But then you're leaving Sabonis on the perimeter, which... I don't feel amazing about, but it's also not horrible. Um, so to me, I just think Chet is the ideal modern big man. Like either him or Sabonis could get the board and bring it up the court themselves. Um, and I, I think they're both really smart with the ball. I, I think there is an aspect of like the idea of Chet being able to do even more than we saw is kind of intriguing to me, but I'm not betting on that but I think there could be something there like Drew Timmy was the guy on that team Um, and and I think just the willingness to be able to go to that team knowing that that was going to be the situation with it being the end of of Timmy's um, college career so I just think it's a phenomenal fit alongside Sabonis with a great rim protector who also can can shoot from three and pass the ball and, and maybe you get even more yeah, Sean, what are your concerns? Well, I mean, the body for sure. I mean, he's got a skill set, and it's really, really, it's a nice skill set. Um, but I feel like from a development standpoint, this one's going to take some time to 
incubate. <laughs> like this one, this one's going to take some time. And I know a lot of people have would would I've heard them use the Kevin Durant comparison, which I don't really think is fair at all. Uh, I mean, you're talking Durant was six, little over six ten, two fifteen at the combine, and like, but couldn't put up one eighty five on the bench press, right? Right, that's the famous story. And, and then you've got Chet Holmgren, who's seven foot, legit, and like one ninety five. Like that's especially. I do agree with what Brendan said about being the prototypical future NBA big. Like that, that's exactly what you want from a skill standpoint. But I feel like it's going to take him some time to get there. Um, this notion that that oh, putting him with Sabonis, like I just. I have a hard time and I get it. Like if you're taking a number two pick, if you're taking him number one or number two, like it's, it's weird to think that, that this guy is going to play right away for me. Uh, I, I think a lot of people would see a number one, number two pick and think that this guy's got to play right away. And and you begin that process. But with him, I think it's a little bit different. Um, Like I couldn't fathom a situation, especially with a Mike Brown offense. And again, we don't know what that looks like yet or defense. I should say, I don't know what that looks like yet, but I just wouldn't picture both of them being on the floor at the same time. If he's your stretch four, that's nice, but you probably need another one. And uh, I, I don't know the, the the two towers of of uh, of Holmgren and, and Sabonis kind of leave me with some question marks more than anything. So I don't have a whole lot of confidence in it. But that's not why you draft a guy like that. You draft a guy like that because you think he's going to be the best player available and the best for your future, and you develop him. Uh, so any of those concerns about right away and, and stuff that I have, uh, you throw out the window because you're, you're you're strictly going with the guy that you think is going to be the big biggest potential star uh, out of the draft class later on. So um, if they can be patient and they've got some nice uh, – player developing they're going to have to they're going to be leaning on that a lot i mean he's already got the skill set the skill set is tremendous i actually really love his ball handling for a seven footer like that is scary um the you know he does some really really nice things and he's aggressive and he wants to be great you can tell that right away uh i think a lot of people will look at what he did in the tournament which wasn't much and maybe get a little bit scared especially considering how uh, that a lot of times they try to translate that into what the NBA is. Probably not the most fair, but I think the basketball IQ is going to is going to be a work in progress. But you can see that there's something there. There's a lot to like with the guy. I just uh, you know with with way you're kind of already built. Hopefully you're adding a piece that um, you you can use right away. Maybe you can. I just the, the fit with him and Sabonis would be a big question. I'm intrigued because, look, I think the biggest issue that we have is that, like, you look, you think it like a stiff breeze would, like, blow them off the court. Like, we'd have to worry that, like, you couldn't open the windows at Golden One Center because Chet could get blown away and, like, end up in the Arden Fair area. Um, but I don't see it. Like, w- when he actually plays, he's physical. He's tough. Like, I, I think that there's a toughness to him especially on on the defensive end that I didn't expect. Like he is to me he is like the next level guy that, you know, if it does work out, if you do get him in the right training program, um you're going to have a difficult time ever putting weight on him. I mean, you can put 15 pounds on him probably, but like can he get up to 230? I don't think so. I mean, and if he does, it's going to be when he's like 27, 28 years old. He's going to take a long time as far as, like, to gain weight. But I'm not sure that you need him to gain weight. 
especially if he's going to play more of a stretch four or a perimeter four. And then the the thing that I like about him, I'll be honest, like when the the Kings pull Sabonis off the court, it just goes to hell in a handbasket. It's not good. Like as soon as you pulled Sabonis off the court, it was like, oh, dear Lord. It's the same, you know, horrific, like everyone's just running around the perimeter, like flicking it to each other. Like, here you go. Here you go. There was no identity at all, especially once you made the trade and you gave up Tyrese Halliburton. When you had Halliburton, it was different. He was able to get to the to get guys into the pick and roll, to get guys like Rashawn Holmes involved. Once he was gone and Fox was gone, and then, you know, again, like Sabonis, as soon as he stepped off the court, it was like, well, this is so boring and vanilla, and this will never translate to wins. So I actually like the idea of, you know, starting them together and then having one of them duck off the court, but always having one of them on the court because I think you can run an offense through Holmgren even early in his career because he is smart, he does have passing skills, and he's huge. I mean, he's he's seven foot tall, but like a monstrous wingspan. You have to defend him all over the court. You can't let him go. Like, you can't just ignore him. Uh, he can hit the three. He can probably score at all three levels, to be honest with you. And and I think he can dribble. Now, is it all going to be perfect in year one? No. But year three, you might have a, you know, a top 25 player. You might not. You don't know. And And if you hit it right, you could have a top 10 player. You just don't know. And this is a guy who has been like a known entity for so long that I'm at least intrigued by him. I mean, he's like... He's been in all the big tournaments, and he's he's done a lot. He's played a lot of basketball for a kid who's you know 19 years old and and about to go into the league for the first time. Yeah, one of the common concerns, and it's a seven foot six wingspan, I believe. Um, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Um, one of the things On is that, like, did you, oh, did you see did you see Mark Williams posted a seven six and a half, but a nine foot nine standing reach? Yeah. Oh. Williams is crazy. Go ahead. If he, if he could jump at all. <laughs> um, one of the things I hear a lot is like, oh, well, how's he going to deal with getting posted up by some of these other guys? Like, that's what Demontis Sabonis is for. Like, that's one of the better aspects. I mean, the best aspects of Sabonis' defense is probably just his rebounding. But, like, I think we saw him, I mean, best you can, deal with, like, Jokic in the post and just dealing with... Um, kind of physical post-up players so if you're like who's going to defend post-ups like that's the one aspect on the defensive end where I'm like well that's where you can just hand that off to Sabonis and then if Sabonis needs help I mean what's better help defense than a guy who's a smart defender with seven six wingspan yeah and who block shots yeah and I think James also you know I I I think a lot of people make this mistake Uh, not that you made a mistake but because I agree with you. There was some clunkiness to what happened last year, especially when Sabonis was off the floor. But I think it's important to just point out to people that when they made that trade, it, it's why I kept saying playoffs be damned. It didn't really matter. Your your team wasn't constructed at that point. Like You've given away six players. You had a lot of imbalance in the force, if you will. Like your roster imbalance was crazy at that point. But you did it because you they th- because they wanted to bring in the talent of Demonis Bonus, right? Yeah. So like so like however that looked, 
push that to the side. Like they have a whole off season to build, and maybe Chet Holmgren is a part of that for sure. But but putting him aside, like that will look different by start of next season because they will have addressed certain holes and needs. Uh, and again, possibly they do that through the draft. Um, but to, I don't want people to get hung up on that part. Be like, yeah, man, that, they were really awful. And they, they were because there were moments there where it just didn't look good, especially with him off the floor. So um, well, there's I a... would he, I would, I'd say this, Sean. Like, it's the same exact problem the Kings had early in the season as soon as Tyrese Halliburton stepped off the floor. Correct. No playmaking. No, it was like this this whole thing screeched to a halt, and it looked like the same thing. It looked like like 1950s basketball where one guy flips it and runs around the corner and they flip it to him again like it was just the same thing again and again and again it was so incredibly repetitive and predictable and it led to a whole bunch of bad three-point shots that there was very little movement inside the three-point line and so but it's it's something that we saw early in the season every time that you saw Halliburton come off the floor. And that's, I mean, there were times where, of course, Fox is penetrating and stuff, but especially when you saw Fox and Halliburton off the floor, it was just just horrible, like horrible basketball to watch. And it was very, very vanilla. And that's something they've got to get away from. I mean, clearly we're going to see a whole different design. And I think too, Brendan, I mean, you look at, you guys have been going through this for better part of two months now. Uh, I if you were to ask me who the most intriguing prospect of the, of the whole draft class is, it's Chet Holmgren and probably two others. I mean, Chet Holmgren to me is easily among the most unique players that is that are available. Um, I don't know if he's got the highest ceiling, but he's definitely in the conversation. I just think he's such an intriguing, intriguing prospect. Yeah, and I don't know that I see like the. I don't. I wouldn't pick him thinking of like you're getting a top 15, 20 player possibly. Like I think, again, like my elite role player almost sounds like I'm downplaying him and that doesn't sound like beautiful with a number two pick or anything, but I think that's also what Jabari is. Um, You know, I, maybe there's, there is a potential that these guys are more, but I think more likely than not, they're elite role players. Like Paulo is the only one I look at and think, this guy could be a number one um, option on offense. But what are you getting on the defensive end? Like, I think Jabari and Chet are difference makers on the defensive end. So I think just, like, at the top, I don't know that you're getting somebody that I'm like, okay, just hand over the keys to, of the franchise to this guy instantly. But I think, like, elite role player is still something that, like, the Kings very desperately need. And if they believe that he fits and checks the boxes because they already have two guys that they can run their offense through, then I think it makes sense. Like you saw what what Mobley and, and Jared Allen, those type of guys were were able to do in Cleveland. Um, I, I think that, again, I'm not betting on like superstar upside or anything like this. There's the potential for it if that handle is actually more than what he was able to show at Gonzaga um, specifically. But I just think that like elite role player sounds like I'm downplaying it, but I think there's so much value in those type of guys in the league. I think it's funny too. As soon as you said that about Paolo, all of us kind of shook our heads. Like we all kind of believe that Paolo could be like the, probably the fanciest, the, the best raw number 
guy of the group. He's the guy that you could see like, okay, I could see 20 and 10. Yep. I could probably even see 25 and 10 or 25 and 8. And 5. The passing is nice. The passing's nice. I actually think he's a better passer than he is a rebounder, but, uh, you know, just by sheer size. And, again, if he even if he is soft, uh, he can still end up with easily five to eight rebounds probably. I, I watched him play at the Final Four, and, like, I was impressed with his defense. He's not a, a great perimeter defender, and he's not a shot blocker. But uh, Baycott was running, like, rough shot over those guys, and – Everyone else kept fouling out. Like Mark Williams couldn't stay on the court. Like everyone just kept getting in trouble, and they put uh, Paolo on him. And I thought he was really solid. I mean, he, he a little bit like the way that Sabonis is solid. Like Sabonis can, it, he's not the horrific defender that some people think that he is. He's not a guy who's gonna like chase guys around the perimeter, um, and he's not a shot blocker. But He's a great position defender. He's always in the way. And I think that Paolo has an opportunity to at least be that. And uh, and I think he's probably going to average over 20 points a game multiple times in his career. Uh, I, I do think he's going to be like a high scorer. But I, I think it's funny. Like, we've had major conversations on Chet. We've had major conversations about Paolo and about Jabari. Uh, Shaden Sharp is like this mystical beast that, you know, Kenny Caraway is is already priming for a tattoo of. Um, Keegan Murray is a guy that we've covered again and again and again. Like, who is Keegan Murray? Um, you know, who, to be honest with you, he might be the next Harrison Barnes. Um, but the one guy who is probably the highest likelihood of the Kings selecting, if they do actually stay in and, and choose at number four, is Ivy. And we just seem to skip over him way too often. What is it? I, I think it's partially because everyone goes, uh, I don't know how he'll fit with Fox. But that's not what you do at number four. At number four, you choose the best potential player, right? I, I think a lot of times people look at it, especially Kings fans, and they look at the draft in terms of what, can, what does the team need rather than who could be the best player available. And with Ivy what, what what makes me just really really intrigued is the speed in the backcourt I think even though he's not a point guard it's that combo guard he has a playmaking ability he has he he has a uh a really high IQ and maybe no mid-range game and I think that's okay um because Fox kind of makes up quite a bit of the mid-range game for him but you always see the Donovan Mitchell comparison and I think people hear Donovan Mitchell and they just go, oh, man, Donovan Mitchell and Fox, like just like it was supposed to be, right? So uh, maybe it's a way for, for people who are really intrigued with, with Jaden Ivey to see what he did at Purdue. They had such a tremendous season there. Um, and if they go back and watch, I really feel like if you watch full games with Jaden Ivey, there's a lot that stands out on tape. There's a lot that leaps off the page, and there's a lot to like. And with Jaden Sharp, it's a difference because they look at it and go, man, this guy – supposed to be this knockdown shooter this supposed to be has a real high ceiling but you don't know what it looked like in college that's kind of almost by design in a way and knowing that you really need a two guard or even a three with some size depending upon how you want to play he just fits a need right now and I think 
people have to remember, like Shaden Sharp is not probably going to be available right away. I mean, he's going to take some incubating, like I say. There's going to be a lot of development there. So uh, Jaden Ivey can step on the court day one, c- contribute right away. And having – who knows how the roster shakes out, but having the ability to have him, Fox, and Mitchell together would be very, very intriguing. Yeah, I think Ivy. I think the offensive fit is better than I think what a lot of people tend to think. Um, I, I think kind of like Sean was was just pointing out, like Ivy played two guard all year long. You know, it's not like I, I think it's easy to look at some of his highlights and just see like, oh, the guy needs the ball in his hands. And I get that a little bit. Like I think that's when he's most effective, and he'll he'll have his moments of of taking over and just. I mean, he closes out a lot of games, and and he just has these takeover stretches um, that is rare to see in a prospect. And a lot of what you're getting with him is just athleticism. It's elite athleticism. Maybe it's like a tier below De'Aaron Fox, but like not that far off. Um, And it's mainly open court speed. There's a killer first step. He has nice moments of his handle. I think like that's the main thing that I think will need to be improved so that way he can like fully utilize his speed rather than just moving quicker than than the ball um and the three-point shooting improved a lot you know he jumped up 10 percent from freshman year to sophomore year from 25.8 to 35.8 um off the catch he shot 52.2 adjusted field goal percentage um I think that he was a fine shooter there it's a little like from his chest um but it, it goes in at an okay rate i think that that's where the quit the fit is a little bit questionable because you can't have questionable shooters around fox and sabonis you know like we even saw it with davion there were times when davion was out there and it's like he's an okay three-point shooter but sometimes it just wasn't quite enough and defenses are ignoring him out there and like we're just going to take away fox and sabonis um so i think that that's where i guess they i see some questions with the fit but the playmaking that he has, like if Sabonis is getting a board and his two outlet options are Jaden Ivey and De'Aaron Fox, like pick your poison. Um, so I think that it, it is intriguing. Um, the talk is that he's very coachable as well, right, with his mom coming from uh, his mom being the head coach of Notre Dame. She worked with Memphis for a long time. Apparently he really likes John Morant, and they've uh, been around each other and okay amount with um, all the work that she did at Memphis and you can see some of those moves it's like not quite a crossover but like a hesitation dribble in a way um, going downhill that it looks like Ivy stole from Morant along with the haircut so (laughs) I think that the in-between game is a little bit of a concern like Sean pointed out Um, there's not really much of a floater or a pull-up jumper in in the in-between and maybe that's why I'm like a little hesitant on that would need to be developed for him to be a primary option. Um, if you're, that's what you're talking about, but the potential is all there. I mean, if you get more growth from this type of athleticism, it's hard to not see it with Ivy. Yeah. I would tell you this. I think he's actually a better athlete than De'Aaron Fox. Like I've watched some, some dunks where, you know, he beats a guy off the dribble, somebody cuts baseline to stop him, and he goes over the top of both of them and just hammers it down. I mean, the guy can absolutely fly. He reminds me, the way that he finishes above the rim in traffic really does remind me of Jaw. Like, there, he's fearless, and there's always some concern about that. But I, I watched a ton of their games, and he played off the ball a lot. 
you know, again, people say, oh, he can't shoot. He shot 35.8%. You know, John Morant shot 34.4% from three last year. Could Ivy shoot that at the pros? Yeah, he could shoot that at the pros. It may not be in year one, but year two, year three, you could probably get that out of him. And I think if the Kings do this right, where they're playing a lot of cuts and a lot of uh, up-tempo offense, uh, you know, playing off of Sabonis a ton, if you had two De'Aaron Foxes, you'd be pretty dangerous. And so I'm intrigued by him. If he's uh, if he were the pick at number four, I wouldn't have any problems with it. I think there's a lot of value still there at number four for the Kings to move off of that pick. But uh, I still wouldn't have a problem with it because I think at least the brand of basketball would be exciting, right? We'd be watching this, like, two supreme athletes with, like, one of the smarter big men in the league playing off each other. And now you got to build out the rest of the roster, but at least you wouldn't have a lack of athleticism, which his team has had quite a few times. This is a guy who's going to he's gonna sell tickets. He's going to make posters. And the lateral quickness is incredible. I mean, lateral side-to-side movement. He never stops moving, which is in, in the college game, that's – if you find a player who just it can have that Rip Hamilton, Steph Curry, even, you know, ability to just weave through traffic, never stop moving. I mean, the guy probably runs five miles a game, you know. <laughs> like, that's – that that's right up there and, and and again i like the fact they can both handle the ball if you look at the intrigue with fox because the one thing again last year that i've harped on so much with the whole tyrese halliburton thing is they were still trying to figure it out De'Aaron fox was trying to figure out how to be effective without the ball in his hands tyrese is gone he gets the ball back in his hands and he's a much more effective impactful player again um i think if you have the two of them together obviously De'Aaron fox will have the ball in his hands and if you already see what Jaden Ivey does without the ball in his hands, with the way he moves, that just leaps off the page to me. And I think that would be very, very good. Are we sure that Fox uh, would have the ball in his hands? I'm, like, I'm pretty sure he would. Wouldn't yeah. you? 100%. I feel like I would have said the same thing with Tyrese, though. No, no, no. Different. Because Tyrese's, Tyrese's playmaking is elite. Jaden Ivey's playmaking is not elite. Yeah, so Tyrese leaps off the page when it comes to Fox. I mean, Tyrese is an elite he sees things like in the Luca, um, Chris Paul, LeBron yeah. James. Young, they yeah. see the play before it happens. You know the space. They have such an understanding of spacing. Yeah, those two guys are a step below that, and that's what made Tyrese so special. Where you had you, you had to give him the ball. You saw in his rookie year where De'Aaron would be a primary ball handler, but that by his second year it was a even by the second part of his rookie season it had already kind of waned off because even though they weren't starting Tyrese Halliburton, uh, they were bringing him off the bench. A lot of times they would share the floor together. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you. Like when I look at Ivy's playmaking and, and all that stuff, like it reminds me a little bit of Fox's. Like I think Fox is further ahead, of course, but still that's what you're kind of hoping that he can be a secondary guy to Fox. Um, and when Fox steps off the floor, you still have a, a guy who can make plays. I think that was – we talked about it early in the season. The team just didn't have any playmaking at all, especially uh, even when you, you took Terrence Davis out of the equation who could playmake for himself and for others a little bit. It still was so, like, evident that they had no playmaking. <laughs> and, and you had guys like, you know, Harrison Barnes, who the previous year had put up, like, a career high in assist and then came right back down to, you know, the two assists a game. And Buddy Heald had – again, put up a career high in assists, and all of a sudden he's averaging two assists a game. 
what you saw was like no playmaking at all no one playing for each other and that's where again like having a coach's son having a guy with a high basketball iq incredible athleticism like checks he checks a lot of boxes ivy does and again that like out of we talked about paolo being the guy who's probably going to score the most um you know ivy's probably the guy who would sell the most tickets you you're going to watch a couple of games of ivy and go oh my gosh i can't believe i just saw that and I, I think there are a couple of guys later in the draft, uh, later in the in the top ten, that can bring some of that athleticism, but not really like Ivy does. I mean, he is going to be a highlight reel. And you know, you brought up uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Like people forget, Donovan Mitchell was just a defensive player in college. He averaged like twelve points a game in college. But he could like, also jump out of the gym. Yeah, yeah, and, but but no one yeah. expects him to do this. I mean, we've talked to Fox about him. Fox goes, man, I played with him in AAU. I've known Donovan forever. I never thought he would average 24, 25 a game. Like, that just wasn't him. That wasn't who he was. So we want to write off Ivy so quickly as a defender, but maybe he can be a good defender. Maybe he just needs the right coaches. Maybe he just needs the right scheme to, to help him figure it out and, and all that stuff. He's got the athleticism. He's got the lateral uh, quickness. He's got the speed. So I don't know. I, I think, again, we judge so quickly on these athletes by one year at the college level, which is 30 games or less, and, and then, like, try to extrapolate what that means at the NBA level. And very rarely do we hit it on the nose, like, perfectly. Yeah. Ivy, just, Ivy is a high-risk, high-reward pick. Um, but you have to take, like, you have to take swings at the top. You know, he has a chance to be the best player in the draft. Um, also easy to forget like he played with the biggest player i've ever seen in my life and they were like playing through the post and he's playing with two bigs sometimes out there so what does the spacing look like and how much is he able to get to the rim when he does have nba spacing um but also on the other side like how good of a passer is he i feel like a lot of it was like these dump off passes that were pretty available to him because he's putting so much pressure on the rim um and then, like, does the three-point shot translate enough? Because there's a, it's kind of on, on the borderline there of you don't know which way that that's going to go. And if he can't shoot from range, then how much is he able to um, do damage at the rim when he also doesn't really have a mid-range game? The potential is there on defense with the lat- lateral quickness, but also wasn't great this season. Like, he had moments, but it there were, I think there were more flaws than, than standouts um, in, in a positive way on the defensive end. So definitely see all the potential, but I also understand why it's risky. I would still take him at four if it was the normal top three that we expect. Um, but, I mean, you're just betting on, betting on upside. And I think there's only so many times that an organization like the Orlando Magic, Oklahoma City Thunder, Sacramento Kings have a chance to get a star. And one of the main ways is the draft and you can't just not take a swing at that. I feel like one of the only ways is through the draft and, yeah. and it, and it's not even like, I'll just be honest. It, it doesn't just have to be the pick itself. Like the only way for them to get a star is to draft Tyrese Halliburton, have him be so much better than anyone thought and be able to trade him for a star. That's, I mean, they're the Kings can't sign a star. I just, it's never happened. I mean, until it happens, I got to say, it's not going to happen. We're 37 years into the franchise. The best free agent they've ever signed, ever, is Vladi Divac. 
like there's no one even remotely close. I mean, we could start com- like comparing stats with Rashawn Holmes and think, did they find like one of the better players in their history with Rashawn Holmes as far as free agent signings? So uh, you got to get this right one way or another. And even if it's like finding a player that, um, you know, that all of a sudden becomes something so much more, but allows you to use that player to go get something else. I mean, that's it's pretty much the only avenue they have. And, and people need to know the difference, too. Resigning is not the same as signing. No. You know that yeah, that yeah. is that is completely different. So people go, oh, they signed Chris Weber, Mike, maybe Demarcus no. Cousins gave an extension. No, no, you can't. It's it's resigning is different than signing. Luring a star to willingly sign in Sacramento. That's that's the that's what has been the uh, Achilles heel for Sacramento, among other things. Yeah, you can trade for players and get them to sign extensions. You cannot get them to sign as normal free agents. And the only time they do. They overpay for role players, and those role players almost every time bust out. They just, they're, no, they're not, they took the money, and that was their motivation, and then they get here, and they don't want to be here. Shout out Dwayne Dedman. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Marco Bellinelli. Oh, George God. Hill. Trevor Ariza. I, yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's quite a few of them. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem, right? You need to find players that want to be there and that can actually grow. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit um, uh, on, on Monday, but Brendan, do you have anything on uh, Luke? Is it Lauk? I don't. Nigerian team with uh, with Mike Brown. See, you did the homework that me and Sean did, which was not. Yeah, I, oh, I found uh, his LinkedIn page. We, um, you, you know, we, <laughs> <laughs> like, see, and that's what I want to differentiate because for people who are like, oh, the, look, you can look at a guy's resume. Again, I've covered the NBA 20 years now. I've never, I don't know this guy. I mean, I have heard the name, but I don't know him. I don't know this guy. I don't have people that know him who've told me stuff about him in the past. Um, like you can look at a resume and go, oh yeah, Team Nigeria and been in the Warriors, Cleveland, whatever, whatever video room doesn't matter. You don't. You try to use more intel than what a Wikipedia page says, and that's why I'm honest when I go, yeah, I, I, I haven't the foggiest. So uh, I got nada. Yeah, I got nothing. Can't wait yeah. to learn. Can't wait to get to know the guy. Yeah, but I'll also tell people like, for some reason, this particular like coaching search has been crazy for the amount of information. I, I think, Brendan, you asked at one point, is this coaching search different than any other? And I think the answer is yes. And it's not different because, like, the coaches are different. I think it's different because people like Jill Adge are, are going out there and, like, literally doing, like, advanced Google searches and pulling up everything. Like, I mean, I, I'm assuming that Jill somewhere has, like, uh, like Mike Brown's, like, third-grade class photo like I, like realistically the the amount of work that other people have done on some of these coaching candidates because I'll go back to last year or the year before like if you guys think if people out there who are watching this think that we should know about Luke um we don't know anything about jo- Jonah Herskew and he's been on the staff for like 2 years like well I mean I we know a little bit <laughs> yeah. we know a little bit but not not like an advanced library on Joe I mean, Hersky. I'll say this. Like, if you're talking about just getting research done, that, first of all, coaching search, are you saying different coaching search for the media or for the organization? Or 
I what think do you mean the way that this has been looked at, especially on social media, this coaching search has been oh, so oh. much more comprehensive than I think, even like the way that we've handled it here on the pod. Like the, we well, would have, I yeah, don't the, remember us spending like, like five or six hours on a coaching search in the past. And by the way, nor should we, because it doesn't like the only thing different. <laughs> the only difference is you've had a coach who can't do his press conference because he's still with another team going deep into the NBA playoffs and now one game away from the finals. So yeah, yeah. it's still going to be mid June until we see Mike Brown uh, saddling up for his press conference and days later he'll they'll be either making the fourth pick or trading it so it's a it's it's a it's an interesting situation so it is different in that regard and yeah you don't have an official outside of really one uh in 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 Jordy Hernandez you don't really have any others that have officially been named by the team so it 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 creates idle chatter and idle hands you know here trying to figure out who's going to be there and what and what and you know, get these reports of who will be added to the staff. And it's, it's, it's very, very vague at the moment. So until it becomes official and, and certain things kind of play themselves out, it, it's, it's unusual. It's kind of like when Jeff Petrie was, was assisting his staff was assisting the transition from his staff to the Pete D'Alessandro uh, camp in terms of general managers and, and, and doing their part during an active draft uh period where you're bringing workouts in and things like that so uh i think that's probably the only real thing that's different everything else is just you're spending time because you know there's not much out there about your team and there's a lot of speculation as to what is who's going to be part of mike brown's staff and at the end of the day most fans don't give a damn who's sitting next to mike brown as long as they win games i agree um, okay, so uh, we've covered quite a few bases here. Um, the I just got done with the mock draft. If you have time to go go look at James's mock draft, I of course used uh, the consensus draft board from uh, Brett Huff to create the draft board. Um, lots I have of my colors. Own, lots of uh, colors. Yeah, it's brilliant though, isn't it? Like I love the colors in his in his <laughs> uh, his draft board. Um, but it, it's cool because it kind of gives you a consensus of what everyone around the league, all of the mock drafts are kind of like putting guys in what order. Uh, I'll come up with a slightly different one that has more of my own views as we get a little bit closer. I don't know that I'm going to do all 30 teams again because that was like almost 7,000 words. And just the editing took like five hours for my wife, which is brutal. And there might be typos in there, but I, like I don't blame her because I, you know, she caught a way more things than I caught on my like second, third look. Um, there's a lot of intriguing players though, that, you know, for me, if, if there is a player that the Kings, like they need a star, we know that, but they also need like a Herb Jones. Like, how do you find the Herb Jones in this draft? How do you find that, that guy who can be an elite role player, a, a, a role player that, that can actually fit in with what you're building, the 3 and D guy, the guy with length, the guy that can play the 3-4. Is there anyone that stands out, or have you guys like taken a look at this and really dug in? Well, I'll say this. I, I think the, 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 the thing for me is for people to realize, um, you, you use the Herb Jones. I'll even use Xavier Tillman, a guy who the Kings kind of had in their power and moved uh, a couple years ago. Um, sometimes guys are products of their environment. You know, there, there's a lot of luck that comes with it. Who's playing in front of you? Who's playing around you? At the end of the day, your talent's going to win out. I, I like to, 
I'm facetious when I say this because I think Luka Doncic would have been a star, but I think you might know Luka Doncic different in Sacramento than you would have in Dallas. Not to say they wouldn't have risen to the same heights, but I think the path would have been a little different. So um, guys can be products of their environment. If you're going to a Milwaukee and you've got this star-laden team with veterans all around you and you're a young player, playing time is going to be really bleak and you have to find any way possible to edge out. And injuries become a factor and give you opportunity. G League will certainly be a part of that. How you find talent, is there's no blueprint. I mean, there's so many different ways to do it and you don't have a, you know, nobody's a psychic or have a crystal ball. You don't know what's going to pan out and the guy can play in one situation and look terrible, play in another situation uh, and look great and go into another situation, and not play at all. So it's all what's surrounding you. There's, there's, there's reasons for why certain guys don't ad- advance. Some of them are their own and some of them are, are institutional that just what's around them. So, you literally um, just described Derek Jones Jr. <laughs> I did. You Derek, did. <laughs> Derek Jones Jr. comes up every single offseason for the past four years in discussions. It's so much fun. He has so much talent. He goes somewhere. It doesn't work out. He goes somewhere else. He doesn't play at all. Yeah. yeah. I'm still dreaming of Robert Woodard actually working out. Um, it's the exact type of player the Kings need. A 3 and D win. For who? Or like, like. No. Maccabi for Sacramento in another wor- world. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm confused. Who's for he going to work out for? For Shanghai. Yeah, yeah the Sharks. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you just try, like, for the Kings, I mean, you think, yeah, like, mention Herb Jones, um, Trey Murphy. Um, I don't know why there's others I can't think off the top of my head. But I, I kind of think you just go for exactly what, Darren Fox said at the end of his presser, just length and shooting. Like, and maybe they, like, more likely than not, you're not going to check both boxes of somebody that's been a really good three point shooter and a really good defender at the college level. They're probably going to have done one or the other, and you're betting on improvement in one of the other aspects. Um, And Jalen Williams is some, I I don't have great research on these guys, but just kind of poked around a little bit with some of the guys that I think just are length and shooting um yeah and i think Jalen williams from santa clara stands out to me caught a little bit of him in, in kind of the chet holmgren research and shoots almost 40 percent from three has some off the dribble game and uh he's one that needs to improve a little bit on the defensive end but if he's not one of the main guys for that santa clara team is he able to put more energy into the defensive end um christian braun is somebody that's like seems to be rising up a lot he's probably not there in the second round um, I think no, he's projected like I'm, late first, yeah. early second. Probably not, right? Yeah, um, I, I mean Christian Brown. He reminds me of uh, of Dante Divincenzo. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of that game that uh, the weird hustle that's effective. Um, yeah, one of those guys that that like does a bunch of things on the court that never show up in the stat sheet, but you're like, huh? I like that he that he ran down that offensive rebound and and did some good work. Yeah, they're, yeah. it's going to be interesting, though. I mean, they need a really, really long 3-4 combo. Uh, and, I mean, I don't think this is a draft to move back into the first round, if unless you really have to. But, uh, you know, um, I think, you know, and by that I mean, like, you want to move on from Rashawn Holmes, and it makes sense to move him for, like, a mid-first-round pick. 
13 um, or 15 from Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I would be like, that's, that's sort of being forced back into the draft um, to a certain extent, but it also makes sense to get an asset there. And I don't know. I, I think that there's potential to find those guys around that spot. There are a couple of guys, you know, uh, Sokan is interesting. You know, Baldwin is interesting. There, there are some guys that are at least intriguing to me. Um, but it really is about like finding the right guy who has a right mindset and is willing to come in. Uh, and you know, like I, I, I bring him up every pod and every time I'm on the radio, but like, like finding a Sadiq Bay is huge. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, like I brought this up on the radio, like Aaron Neesmith went before him and he was the guy that you thought would be like this great scorer and, and shoot the lights out, never, ever really developed at all. And then Bay like takes off and becomes like, when you look at, that's the gamble. That's the risk reward pick of a guy who averaged 20 something points a game versus another guy who was just really solid and you knew who he was, right? And then Desmond Bain, a four-year guy who doesn't have amazing measurables, goes 30th. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it, there's, it's wild. There's no rhyme or reason, you know? Yeah. Kyle Kuzma at 27. Uh, Pascal Siakam at 27. Rudy Gobert at 27. Right? Nikola Jokic. Yeah, second round. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Keda. Chris Middleton. <laughs> I Come see. on, stop it. Look what <laughs> you, you did. Keda. I Look see what you, you there. did. I see you there, but but again, like Chris Middleton, if he doesn't fit the three and D, I'm not sure. Like, who was he in college that you didn't think this is who he could have been? Well, everyone missed. Like, he's a second round pick. So, uh, okay, so let's get to uh, the business of basketball. Oh, that's oh a good one. yeah. That's okay, a good one. so Sean, you were uh, you were in San Francisco. Well, no, Santa Clara. Santa right? Clara. Yeah. Recently, and uh, there's this weird situation with media and uh, and a player with the 49ers. What do you got for me? Like the the Grant Cohen situation with uh, with Javon Kinlaw. Yeah, so Javon Kinlaw took uh, he's the latest 49ers player in a long line that includes Jimmy Ward, Eric Armstead among others that took exception to this media member. And to be honest, uh it's been it's been a thing and if anybody doesn't know Grant Cohn is uh I think he does this I don't know if it's a podcast or a, it's a blog, I'm not entirely sure but it's called quality control for the 49ers. Now quality control obviously is harkens to there's quality control coaches in the league in the NFL for every NBA team. A lot of head coaches start as quality control uh, to just to get their foot in the door. Um, But that's his, his publication or whatever he ends up doing YouTube channels. And so uh, he's a publisher of all 49ers fan, part of fan nation on SI.com and he has his own YouTube channel. So he was, he's credentialed member of the media and he was there for OTAs. Um, I've had interactions before, you know, fine. I don't really, I couldn't really say one way or the other. I don't really know him. I know his father. His father is uh, Lowell Cohn, who's a longtime Bay Area journalist and has, you know, done a lot of basketball, baseball, football coverage out there. Um, but Grant somehow becomes the apple of some of these eye, of these guys' eyes because, uh, but in, in a negative way. These, some of these players have taken uh, exception to him. And uh, the most latest example at OTAs, which was day two of OTAs, but the first day that they actually had the media there. And Grant can be very, very critical of players, as most media members can be. But Javon Kinlaw, who's just been 
injury injury riddled and a you know a a the 49ers first round pick from a couple years ago and just hasn't really been able to stay on the field and so Grant has teed off on him when it comes to being critis- being critical of him and it didn't land well with not only Javon Kinlaw some teammates but also like family members and things like that so uh apparently and I didn't see this he he approached Grant at the on the field uh, as media is coming out for OTAs to watch practice and swatted at him and knocked his cap off his head, I guess. And then it, or it escalated to when he's on his doing his YouTube show is kind of like we're doing right now. I don't know if it was YouTube or if it's a Twitter account or what platform, but you can watch it. In fact, if you go to Eric Armstead's Twitter account, Eric not only teed off on Grant, but um, has the video linked to the video in, in his tweet. And Javon crashed his his live, and they brought him on, and Javon just didn't do himself any favors, in my opinion. It didn't look good. But both people, Javon Kinlaw and Grant Cohen, are to blame, in my opinion, because Grant Cohen escalated this himself. He, You can talk about how, in the very beginning of what in his show, he said, Javon Kinlaw made me famous. Grant Cohen, in my opinion has more interest in being famous than he does in wanting to do a the media gig to do to do the job of what it is to be a media member to tell stories provide analysis you know give give context and depth he he did exactly what you're told not to do in journalism 101 and that's become the story and the minute Javon Kinlaw started going down a rabbit hole uh, on this on this live on on his live, he should have probably ejected and immediately contacted the team. This thing should be sorted out behind closed doors. This is not of something that that you should bring attention to yourself. Now, I would hope Grant learns from it. I don't know. I know he's he's kind of a persona non grata along um, among a lot of 49ers players throughout the year. So, uh, but. It's it's fun to bring up here in a, in a Kings Beat uh, platform because we've talked about interactions with both positive and negatively with a lot of players over the year, and I think the years, and I think the ones that always comes to mind is is Demarcus Cousins because he was so polarizing and and just kind of a a different way, but he's certainly not the only one that has had negative uh, fan inter- or media and um, player inter- interactions over the years, and I think that's why we're bringing up on the business of basketball. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting topic. I mean, we can kind of look at like a positive moment. Well, what what started out as slightly negative and, and turned positive for Brendan, right? right? Like you had your situation uh, with uh, where you asked Luke a question early in the season about hiding Tyrese Halliburton on the defensive end, and then Ty sort of had this like fun, witty banter, but it never got to a point where it was like contentious. It was always more fun and lighthearted um but you could see that if you like staked your claim to that was that you think that Halliburton is the worst defender you've ever seen and you spent like a couple of weeks or a couple of podcasts or wrote about it five or six times about how bad he was as a defensive player how you could start to like see things turn a little south but I think that's a little bit I, what did you 
what did you learn from that, Brennan? Because like I've had an incident, which I'll talk about in a minute. But no, I, I mean, I, what did you learn? No, no, because I think <laughs> what you learned is that sometimes extending yourself and like and being part of the joke is okay, and it helps you along the way. It helps you like be, ingratiates you to the player. Yeah, I mean, I think I the primary like the basic answer would be that no player or no coach is going to throw their player under the bus like that. But outside of what I learned in asking questions, I think just interacting with um, players, but it's really just people in general, like don't really need to use the word players in my mind. Like it's just each person that you interact with is, is going to um, go about things differently. Like maybe a different player would have felt a type of way about it and, and um, reacted in a different way rather than, you know, Tyrese and I kind of going back and forth a little bit in, um, like you said, a lighthearted way. Um, so I, I think it's just being careful with wording. And, and yeah, I think part of the reason it was okay was that, like, they were hiding Tyrese. You know, like, there was—he had struggled on the defensive end, and, and he knew that. And and I acknowledged when he had good defensive games, I guess some four or five steal games and things like this. So, um, yeah, not like you're saying, just completely— making that my entire personality for the year is like, oh, now I'm known as the guy that hates Tyrese on the defensive end, so I have to keep sticking with this. And even when he has good defensive plays, I'm going to post the clip where he did fall asleep or things like this. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting to me with the with the Niners situation. I already had kind of like seen that Grant didn't have a great reputation um, around the the fan base and things that's like that. Putting, that's putting it mildly. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I just think, you know, I, I think obviously I'm, I'm newer to this and we witnessed this like once or twice throughout the King season as well. It's like frustrating to me because it just gives media a bad look. Like I feel like a yep. lot of people already shine media, uh, like look at media in a bad light. Um, and it's just, it, it's so typical like playing into the stereotype of like you're saying the the media guys are the ones that are looking to their to make themselves the story um and get their 15 minutes and it's just like people are going to overgeneralize and just say oh well it's just this is just what media does sean have you ever come close to getting physical with a player no no never uh have you ever had a player approach you and like i had a an angry way (laughs) oh yeah yeah, several times, but never, never to where it went like that. I mean, um, I think I used an example with Demarcus uh, about the Derrick Rose tweet uh, that some people thought he was taking a shot at Derrick Rose. He was being funny. Uh, for people who don't remember, remember he was um, he turned his ankle in a game. Uh, they ended up came back and win. Um, talking to him, and then afterwards, as we're kind of pulling away, everyone's kind of done. I go, oh, yeah, by the way, how's the ankle? And he goes, that's ah, fine. And then he goes, actually, no, I think I'm going to sit out the rest of the year and get my own comeback commercial. And he was poking fun at just, you know, RG3. Robert Griffin III had had a comeback commercial. Derek Rose, all these shoe companies were doing these these commercials for a lot of these guys coming back from injuries and stuff. And DeMarcus, who at the time famously didn't really have a shoe contract at the moment, um you know, he kind of poked fun at it. It wasn't poking fun at any one player, but uh, a lot of people thought that that was a shot at Derrick Rose. And uh, I woke up to a series of text messages. He was very upset about it. And I said, DeMarcus, you were being funny. Like, you shouldn't have to explain yourself for being funny. 
um, we had a little bit of a disagreement over whether or not I should have reported that or what he said. And I said, so when I, in my tweets, I never apologized. I never said, no, it's just a difference of opinion. You're still in an open media locker room session. Uh, there's no, you know, you're still, I was still asking you questions. But the best part about it was, I said, it's not as fun. In a series of tweets, I said, if anyone thought that DeMarcus was taking a shot at Derrick Rose, like, I'm using RG3 as a situation. I'm, I'm using these examples. I said, I guess it's not as funny when you have to explain the joke. He retweeted all of them. And then I was like, okay, I don't know what type of player I'm going to run into tonight at the game because, you know, what's fresh off of It's too fresh. We're coming right off of this. And everything was fine. Everything was fine. Um, I've had moment. I've had other moments. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who used to think Paul Westfall probably hated me, and he. I, I can maybe he did. I don't know, but I don't think so. He and I always got along great. Not. I didn't have the relationship like James did. James and Paul were very close, but I was in a situation at a when I when I in media where I think he thought at the time that maybe I was somebody else at a radio station I worked at, and to that point, like. You know, I always ask the first question right there, and it could be tough. I mean, especially at a time where he knows I know a lot of the players that he was he he didn't have the best relationships with, and also the team just wasn't any damn good. So a lot of that just kind of stacks up, and you're asking a guy a tough question right after a game. Uh, and I don't think that any of my questions were necessarily too tough. I think they were a little bit straightforward, um, but. I think Paul was calculated in the way he would react to some questions. And I think he was calculated in the way he wanted to reply to something to make it seem as if he was addressing a bigger topic than he is. So again, Paul and I were fine. I didn't have any moments. And I know James, I always like to give James grief because, you know, George Carl famously called him an asshole one time. And I thought that was amazing. <laughs> and, you know, even, even George Carl and I, you know, he, George, I don't, I mean, this could, it's not hard to find out I'm a Duke fan, um, but I wore a Duke shirt in front of him at one point, and I did it on purpose. Usually, I I purposefully wouldn't do it when I was wearing it around him, like if there was going to be a game, because just you know I'm not going to do that. But I had to come from a, a function where I wasn't able to change my shirt, and I'm like, well, I'm going to wear this. This Duke. I've done it around several players before. Harrison Barnes knows he's a North Carolina guy. We get along great. It's no problem. But but I know Duke uh, is is you know a four letter word literally to. George Carl. So, um, for different reasons or another, I remember you know seeing Rich Gannon and, and a coworker I had at a radio station get into it with the Raiders. It was um, very contentious. You know, a lot of that stuff I feel has to stay behind the scenes. If I famously, I remember when um, the the famous now moment with Andy Ferrillo and and Demarcus Cousins, oh, and yeah. when they you know started when that thing started happening, I. You know, people who don't know, I bring, I take a camera into the locker room. I'm a one man band usually, and I put the camera on the ground because that's stuff that doesn't that the the, the fans and and people who who watch and and the NBA and love these players and all that stuff, they don't really need to know that stuff. It's not stuff that happens unless it crosses a line where it becomes a physical altercation that's different. So I always put the camera on the ground to let it know that I don't give a shit about this. This isn't anything that any of us, uh, that anybody outside this locker room should know. Uh, it doesn't, inf it doesn't impact the play on the court, any of that stuff. So, um, it's not the last time an, an athlete's going to have an altercation with a media member. It, this one certainly wasn't the first, but again, you cannot make yourself the story and, and you have to do better as a media member. And um, 
I don't know that what Grant to bring it back to the Grant Cohen moment. I don't know that what he's done is is valid enough to have his credential revoked. I don't cover the 49ers like I do the Kings um, regularly, but it's certainly the latest in a long line of events that have happened. Yeah. I've only had one incident where I I had like a player, me and a player got into it. Um, and it, it was a weird situation. I talked about a play on the court and a mistake that a veteran player made in a game uh, that cost his team a win um, and a mistake that was a flagrant foul um, at an inappropriate time in a game. And that player waited a couple of days, like almost a week. Which is impressive when you think about it because they held on to it that long. That's pretty yeah that's pretty wild they they had interviewed we'd had him at practice uh we had him after a game he waited until pregame when media relations stepped out of the room for two seconds and went at me and like got pretty offensive and i you know i like walked over closer so we could have a conversation and did the whole are you gonna step to me thing and all that and it was like whatever man I'm going to say what I'm going to say on TV. And he had his piece and I said mine right back. And it was not a good scene. There was only one other player in the room and was sitting there like quietly watching like, oh my goodness, this is not good. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to throw someone under the bus, but. I wish I, I had seen this. But I, I, to be honest, like my view of that player changed dramatically, dramatically. Like, and, and my opinion of that person, I like they can't they can't take it back uh, because I didn't say anything that was outside the realm of basketball and wasn't you know like completely honest and truthful at the time and he didn't like it and chose a really really interesting time to like have his moment where he was going to tell me he didn't like it and I was like all right you know and I didn't go write about it or podcast about it and make it a big deal at the time uh, because that would have been making me the story and not, you know, it all worked out the way it should have worked out in the end. Yeah. I mean, there's these, are, these people are human at the end of the day and they're going to have some, thin, certain people have thicker skin than others. And yeah, I think the, the best part about it is, um, it, especially now as we're hopefully stepping out of this chaos, that was the pandemic and, and more into more back to doing the job the right way somebody who can say something on the record, like I am now in front of a microphone, you know, I'm, I'm articulating it in a way that maybe I would articulate it different six hours from now to a buddy of mine replaying this conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and the context would be a little bit different. The, 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 the intent and purpose of what I'm saying would be a little bit different. The same thing is goes for anybody who does, has to do this for a living. The job is to, you know, the job isn't just playing basketball. The job is also speaking to the media. It's part of the gig. Um, and I think having the ability to pull someone aside and have a conversation like adults and, and, and just human to human is, is great. You know, that's, that's what you need. Some people, even in professional sports, they're going to be immature. They're, they've got a lot of money. Some people that, that think that that'll make them untouchable and it's not, there's too many, there's so many stories of caution that'll come along the way that you can point to. But I feel like most people kind of get it by now. And someone like Javon Kinlaw, who, with everything he's been through, and you talk about how mental health comes a part of this. I mean, this is a guy who 
as Grant Cohn even said, hey, if you want to shut me up, do so on the field. Stay on the field and do something great, and, and I'll be happy to sing your praises. Criticism just kind of comes along with it. you got to call a spade a spade when, at the end of the day, or else you're not doing your job. And I think there's a way to, to do it in a tactful and, 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 a, and a good way. But if you're, as again, as I pointed to earlier, if, you're, if your whole outset is being famous over doing a job, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. And, the wrong, yeah. You know, the, a lot Show of the, up every day. Do man, the work. Right. Grind. Just be there. You. It, it's one thing for somebody to be able to say, and I'll bring Brendan into this as well, because Brendan wasn't there for Tyrese's rookie season, as far as I remember. Sorry, Brendan, if you were. But we was also, you know, it was a lot of, lot of. Uh, it, we were in Zoom at that time, right? I, 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 it, it floored me that I had, we went a whole season, and I, and the first time I get to meet Tyrese Halliburton is in Vegas, at uh summer league <laughs> for a summer league where he's barely a part of it. he's just with the team in training um this is davion mitchell's rookie season and my first time meeting tyrese halliburton in person is in las vegas for summer league so training camp for me right yeah yeah so yeah. uh you know it's 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 interesting that way and, and he asks brendan gets to ask a question to luke and tyrese hasn't seen this guy so i think tyrese had the maturity enough to Use what you say as motivation. Also hold himself accountable and also have some fun with you and also in like a ribbing. It probably started off in a very F you type of way, but I'm going to do it in a nice way. And it just evolved into something that was actually kind of fun. And I look forward to I was encouraging. I was like, this is this is phenomenal. This was for my own mirth. I found amusement out of it and uh, <laughs> was so happy that it happened. And again, I think if Tyrese Halliburton saw you, for people who don't know, they, he'd put his arm around you and be like, hey, man, good to see you. You know, so I think yeah. that's uh, I think that's a good acknowledgement of what you do. And actually, Brendan, I'll tell you this too: you somehow broke down a wall without being in a locker room, with with most of your interaction being via Zoom, and so that's a good thing. I mean, because even when he walks in the room, when players walk in the room, just so people know, we're twenty feet from the stage. Um, even after our <laughs> post game, they they come feels out like, of a door, walk it feels right like up a, a staircase. It feels like a hundred feet away. Yeah, they well, come, you're way in the back, Sean. Yeah. They they come in a <laughs> door, they walk up a staircase that's literally right by the door and walk right onto the set. And uh, uh, they, they that's where their stage is. So they just go, they come in and then they walk right back, right back out. That's not the way it's always been. Like we're usually in the locker room surrounding, you know, standing over in a corner while guys are getting dressed and then zooming around them and, and like, like basically cornering them in their locker stall. Like there's there's a weird like intimacy to the way that you know we cover players but it's not there anymore it because of you know the pandemic and the way that we have to cover them now so i'm hoping that we do get back to some of that uh but at the same time i thought it was it was a good moment for you brendan because you were able to break down a wall even without having the luxury of being around somebody yeah the little walk either to the stand or off of the stand back into their uh hallway towards the locker room is probably where some of the best moments happen random things like gentry saying uh, that he's gonna go drink um (laughs) which harrison barnes asked us a question that one time what was that like if boogie should get his jersey retired if boogie yeah yeah 
He also said that him and Josh Jackson had a bet. Or, no, I asked if they had a bet on the UNC-Kansas game, and he said whatever Josh Jackson wants to lose. Oh. Um, How'd that work out? Yeah, right. It it did not. It did not. So, sweet. All right, well, this is good stuff because I I think it's about, uh, like, pulling back the the curtain a little bit and letting everyone see – and here are some of the the other things that we go through uh, when we're we're doing this gig, and it's and it's always good because, you know, like Sean's been doing this for twenty years. I've been doing this. This will be year thirteen. Brendan's entering like second season, so you get perspectives from all kinds of angles. Where, uh, you know, maybe even like I, I'm a little enviable a lot of times because Brendan has a fresh look at things that, like Sean and I just can't have. Well, you like, know what's you know to that point, I was gonna. I'm glad you mentioned that because. It reminds Brendan, how old, how old, not to put you on blast, but how old were you in your first season? 24. Okay. See, I was even younger than you when I did this. Mm. And I'll say this um, even though I started at a time covering the Kings, so the 0102 season was my first experience with the Kings. My first full season was the next year. So they're, you know, Western Conference Finals, all that stuff. I, I got the last half of that season. And even then, I had to miss a handful of games because of. Uh, my board hopping duties back at KHDK. So it was a little bit different. But what I'm getting at is, even for as good as that team was, you'd constantly see media members having issues with certain people. And even for me, being this... I mean, I looked like a kid, man. I mean, you look like a kid now. You look like you're 14 on this podcast right now talking to us. I'm just messing with you. But but the I really looked like a kid at that point. you know. And so I'm in this locker room easily the youngest person in that locker room uh that that maybe isn't a player who just got drafted and you know there were certain guys that that weren't necessarily the most warm and inviting to me even if I'd ask questions and I'm sure I asked just awful questions I still do but an awful question can get a brilliant response so um I was just never scared to do it you know so I think that can play a part of it as well. When maybe certain people are used to seeing a media member looking a little bit more seasoned, like the fine gentleman James Ham and myself are now, uh, as opposed to someone who's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and brand new and, and look like that they, hey, the, the the ball boys are out there. <laughs> like that's you can go join the equipment staff. That's where you're at. Uh, you know that that's just a, that to me i think can play a factor as well when somebody looks like they're brand new on the scene not knowing what they're doing uh and just trying to feel it out yeah i came into it a little bit thinking that okay i'm going to be the young guy in the room and this team is kind of at the top some young guys that are going to be my age like i am a year younger than De'Aaron fox tyrese says 2 years younger than me um, so I was like, to me, I, I can try to be relatable to these guys. Like they haven't seen there's something about Mary either. I bet at least one of them has it. At I'll least tell you, one. <laughs> there's potential. If it's not this year, it will be next year that I will have a son that's older than the draft pick. Oh, because <laughs> my son is 19. There's a possibility that the Kings draft a player that's older than my son. I mean, Brendan, that's, that's younger than, uh, yeah. It, it, well, <laughs> so it gets weird when you have a head coach, when you're older than the head coach. And fortunately, I don't think – I think Luke still had me beat, which is great, so I don't think that I, I – I was older I, than Luke. 
I have to look that up, but I'm just so glad that Mike Brown has been the, is the head coach because he's older than me. So that's not that's not going to be a situation. But since you brought up something about Mary Brendan, yeah, we got to round this thing out. But let's, I let's think go. we need your review now because you have finished this movie. Yes, it I have. How long? I have. I will. Uh, it only took me like two weeks. Um, Jesus Christ! You wa- and you watched you, in 15 minute increments, right? Do you even know who Brett Favre is? <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. I will never wear hair, hair gel again in my life. There it is. Um, oh, that wasn't hair gel. There was <laughs> there was a lot of turns. I will admit, I turned it off at the wrong time because it got really good right after. There's just like oh twists all the time. Um, yeah, it, it, favorite favorite character. Probably the guy that ended up the, being the pizza delivery guy. Because oh I God. just didn't see that one coming at all. That one totally <laughs> caught me off guard. The right answer was Matt Dillon. I'm sorry. The guy who broke his legs. <laughs> so yes. Could be close to her. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, it, th- it threw me through a loop a lot at the end. I, I liked all the plot twists for sure. Um, all right. Next time. Okay. I think we have to add a requirement for Brendan's homework assignment. So next time you watch a movie, it must, must, must be in one sitting. <laughs> We're okay, not asking that much. No, you're not. You're not. What is, uh, I did just finish the first Ozark season. So those last three episodes I had to binge. I'm not going to lie. So the first th- season? they're not in the way. Oh. Yes, actually, just finished the first season. I had seen the first, like, <laughs> this is kind of on theme. I had seen the first, like, six or seven episodes years ago, but then for some reason just put it down and didn't finish it. So I had to start up again from the beginning of season one. Um, but I was kind of obsessed with the end of that, so it got in my way of finishing There's Something About Mary. Um, what is next up for me? You guys have to watch Chip and Dale, by the way. Well, the Rescue um, Rangers. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll probably watch it because my my fourteen year old will watch it. Not actually. That's, an, that's I'll, another. I'll figure one. out a real movie for you guys. That's, an, that's another movie you have to be careful when you look up on the internet. Um, I say your next movie that you have to watch, and again, I've been saying it for a while, is Swingers. Swingers. Again, yeah. Vince Vaughn, John Favreau. Make sure you're watching that version and not because this one will be very not different. The it's X an, version. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just making sure. I'm just. Trying to be sure a friend. That, yeah, just making sure that your Google, <laughs> that your search history is intact. Um, Incognito yeah, to I, look up this movie. I Wow, see, I don't even use Incognito like, Windows. I don't know about this culture. I'll help you out. All right, all right. Yeah, Somebody um, in Kingspedia that needs. I don't know what else. Like, uh, I'll, I'll go upstairs. I'll uh, find some well, movies that I Well, actually, because wasn't it, wasn't it your friends at King's Herald who no, said Tarantino that you haven't movies. seen any Tarantino movies. And I think your reply was what? I've seen parts of, like, three of them. How do you see parts <laughs> of okay, movies, I, I think you, you have to start, like, they're not going to tell you. That. You don't start with Pulp Fiction. You start Resident with Four Dogs. Rooms. No. Oh, okay. I see, what you're, I see what you're doing. You start with Four Rooms because it gives you a, a taste of, like, the different angles of him. Like, Do I watch way- each room at a different portion? Sitting. No, yeah, different no, sitting. No, you have to watch that. And then Reservoir Dogs is incredible. Yeah, and then well, it gets lighter and more bloody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are, are, so you were, are we telling him to watch the Tarantino anthology? You have to watch everything. That's interesting. Okay, I'm maybe. Good with that. 
Okay. Those are some longer movies too. They I mean they get kind of longer, so it's tough. Buckle it's tough. up, buddy. One the sitting. Buckle up, buckle so wait, what is the official answer for next up? I feel like it has to be Swingers. It has been for a little while. Okay, I, I could go with that. Okay, I, I mean, that's, I, that's really it's John Favreau, like young John Favreau and and young Vince Vaughn. Yeah, before Favreau becomes like the the filmmaker that he is now. Don't be the PG thirteen guy. You're, don't be the PG thirteen guy. Yeah, I think it's about people. Like, it, yeah, it's about kind of seeing where you fit in society, right? A little bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, all right. It's about oh. relationships, all that stuff. It's good stuff. It is. It is good stuff. All right. Uh, we've got uh, the happy hour coming up in not that long. I've got to get this thing edited and put up, and and then uh, the happy hours tonight. If you are a premium subscriber to the King's Beat, um, and you want to, you know you need to jump on board and you'll, you'll get to the happy hour tonight with, uh, with Gary Gerald. Um, if you're not a premium subscriber and you decide at the last minute, Oh, I've got to get to the happy hour tonight. Uh, make sure that when you get the email that says you're now a premium subscriber, uh, respond back to that and make sure that I'll, I'll see it. If it re- respond back and say, Hey, I didn't get the link. Can you make sure I get the link to the happy hour? Uh, happy hours are absolutely a blast. I can't wait to have Gary Gerald, uh, hanging out and talking Kings basketball. He's just such a great storyteller. Um, and I, I'm excited to have fans ask questions. I, I think that'll be good stuff. Uh, hopefully Sean and Brennan will join me in the happy hour and we'll just kind of like pepper him with questions nonstop. I will be there. Uh, G-Man is a legend. The he, the sheets that he has are like how I imagine Mike Brown's defensive game plans look. Yeah. I think you're right. You know what? I, I might ask him to pull out one of those sheets so he has it and can show it at the happy hour. It, it's impressive. And then to see the uh, the Gary Gerald uh, broadcasting tree where uh, Scott Marsh and Jason Ross, all these guys actually like emulate what he does is, is fun to watch as well. Um, he, he is a legend. So uh, that's from 530 to 730 tonight, Thursday, May 26th. Uh, Again, premium subscribers to the King's Beat. Um, outside of that, thanks, uh, Brennan and, and Sean, for joining us uh, on this venture today. Um, we were supposed to make this one shorter, uh, and it didn't work out. This we, is failed. Shorter. we failed. We uh, failed. Yeah. But we did have to get some movie talk with uh, with Brennan. Um, outside of that, uh, like, be safe out there. It's starting to heat up. Uh, I can't wait to be on oh, the Oh, I thought you weekend. were talking to me at Bottle Rock. Be safe at Bottle Rock. Oh. I will. Oh. I'll be safe. Yeah. You'll be, be safe, safe Sean. Oh, yeah, yeah and be safe. safe, Sean. Like, don't do anything crazy or no, do things do. crazy, but have, you know, be safe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bottle Rock. Oh, it's going to be yeah, wait. good stuff. Can't wait. Uh, I can't wait to get out on the lake. It's going to be nice and warm, and hopefully the water's heated up this weekend. And Don't lose your phone. Leave your phone at home. <laughs> well, that, and I can't hit my head. That's what they like. Don't hit your head because uh, I'm still on blood thinners for another 30 Escalated days. Escalated quickly. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oof. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat Podcast. Uh, for Sean Cunningham from Fox 40 and Brendan Nunez from the King's Herald and the King's Pulse Podcast, I am James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. We will see you next week.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.